Yeah, well, thanks, Pastor Greg, for sharing the story a little bit. And uh, yeah, Janet, just an amazing woman, an amazing woman of God. Been so thankful to serve alongside Janet and the, the team in Bonacord for the, the last five or six years-ish. I can't even remember when we first went out there, but it's been several years now, and uh, it's been quite a journey. I just want to so just say thank you to each and every one of you for your incredible support of Ashley and I and the kids for our journey in the Father's house. It's been amazing. Um, it was actually about six or so years ago, I think, or maybe seven years ago, I sat with Pastor Greg at Higher Grounds Coffee Shop and said, Pastor Greg, I'm feeling the Lord is speaking to my life and I think it's time for a transition. I was already beginning to feel this burden seven years ago. In fact, I, I started uh, just growing a heart for working with young people at risk. That's always been a bit of a passion for mine. You know, young people who are in really difficult situations, um, that's been a real passion for me. And at that point, I just felt like God was speaking to my life and I didn't know what it meant. And so us visionaries, we have a real hard time with hearing God and then being patient. Um, and so straight away, I, I'd signed up to begin doing some, some study through a, a, an Australian university, a social science type degree, which was going to allow me then to work with young people at risk. And at that point, I felt like God was saying, it's time to go back to Australia. And so that was seven or so years ago. So I have this coffee with Pastor Greg and in his great wisdom, he reminded me that there's a journey to be taken and just to allow God to, to lead in that way. Um, and so I began to sort of move my life toward that direction. I was doing a course of study, and then God clearly spoke to me. Now, this was a really cool moment because I, I don't have these moments often, but God spoke to me, like literally spoke to me. And uh, I was sitting, I won't go through the whole story because it'll take up too much time, but I, I was sitting uh, having a coffee. I think I've shared this story with you before. It was my kid was sick that night and I'd busted my thumb and I was just having a terrible, terrible day. And I sat there with a coffee and uh, I just felt God just spoke and he told me I needed to stay, told me I needed to grow my family, which I didn't understand what that meant. Um, I thought that meant go and have a bunch of kids, which we, Ashley and I have, we've got two, we've tried and we've had several miscarriages and we're continuing to just pray about what, what did that specific word of God mean? And, and even just recently, we've gone through a couple more miscarriages and we're trying to understand just what that means. But we felt like God was saying, you know, it's time to stop running away from your calling to, to, to plant roots here in Canada. And that was all I needed to hear. And that was several, seven years ago or so. And then before long, Pastor Greg uh, came to me and just said, look, Maddie, um, there's a need in Bonacord. Would you be willing to go? Um, and I think it was like a week or two before I needed to go there. It was like, it was a pretty drastic change in Bonacord. And I think at that stage, I was still working things out. And I said to Pastor Greg, I'll, I'll do it for nine months. Um, no problem. Because at that point, I, I didn't have a heart or a connection to the people in Bonacord. It was just a willingness to go and do what was needed for the kingdom of God at that time. And and at that point in my heart, I was like, yeah, I'll do it for nine months. And that was six years ago. And, you know, it was right and appropriate because as soon as you meet Janet, Audrey, Betty, um, Doreen, Jackie, Gladys, as soon as you meet that group of people, you fall in love. Like, you, you can't just stay for nine months. Like, you have to stick around because they're such an incredible, faithful group of people. And so it's been a, a privilege to be able to be there for that length of time. And I will not lie to you, I would have stayed there for 30 years. 50 years. It, it didn't really matter. When we began to discern that God had placed us there for such a time as this, it was just more about what it meant to just be faithful in the context God places you to be. Amen? And that's probably true for all of us, whether you're a pastor or not. Wherever God places you, it's, it's right and good to be obedient. 
it's right and good to be faithful. And, and so for us, after all these years, it was really clear that God was speaking to us again. And having the fellowship with Pastor Greg and the leadership team and just beginning to work out what that means, it's been right to step away and allow God to, to do what He wants to do. And if that means amalgamating, if that means having people find a, a community of God's people in their own community, um, then that's good. I, I just feel like it's time to release that burden to God. And I just want to say thanks because the leadership really have trusted Ashley and I in so many ways. Like to literally say, Maddie, just go and be you and, and preach and love and lead um, without being controlled or managed in that way, like just free in the kingdom. We have an amazing leadership team church and I just want to honor them and acknowledge them right here before you all that you've got a good group of people who are praying and leading us. And so I just want to say thanks to that. Today, it's actually 12 years ago that I met Pastor Greg. Um, 12 years ago today, I got married to my wife, Ashley, and I had no idea that I would be living in Canada for this long. At that point, it was just a quick pass through Morinville. I looked at Morinville and thought, right on, I'm just going to pass right through this town. And uh, I did not fall in love with Morinville. I'm just going to be real honest with you. I think I drove through Morinville. There's one set of stoplights and a big old ugly pub on the corner. And I thought, right on, this is, this is where I live. But it was okay because I was just passing through and uh, Ashley and I spent some time uh, in it, just serving God's kingdom around the world, man. Like we had time in South Africa and Germany, Jamaica, and we are just following God and then it was right uh, to, be, to be landed here. So I celebrate 12 years of marriage today with my wife. It's amazing. It's awesome. Yeah, you can give that a round of applause. It's good. Fantastic. So she'll be here at the 11 o'clock service um, with the kids and then the kids are going to grandma's house. All right, let's just move on from that. Um, <laughs> summer in the Psalms is what we've been looking at over this summer, amen? It's been good, just digging through the Psalms. I love the Psalms. If you heard me share a couple of weeks ago on the video, just my love for the Psalms and how they formed my worship, they formed my journaling, they formed my interaction with God in so many ways. Um, now, when I preach today, you're probably going to be going, what on earth is he yabbering about? And what has this got to do with the Psalms? Well, let me take you on a journey there. We will finish on a psalm, but I felt like it was right to do a little bit of work before we got to the psalm. And so I just encourage you right now, stretch your arms out a little bit. I'm not going to do that because my, my chest pops open. You're still a little bit of peekaboo there. Just stretch your arms. If you need to stand up and stretch your legs a minute, do it because we're about to take a journey and we're going to go together and we're going to learn a bit about what God has to say to us today about his heart for his church and what it means to walk in unity. And then we're going to land on a psalm, Psalm 133. How about I pray and then we'll get stuck into it while you stretch and... That's my barrier, right? That my wall? Okay, good. Jesus, help me to stay within the barriers that you've set for me today. Lord, bless your church today. God, you, you love your church. Oh, you love your people, God. And you've called each and every one of us by name. You've called us into a life together. So good, so rich. Thank you, God, for what you want to do in our midst today. And, and, and Holy Spirit, we, we truly do ask that you will come and have your way. Holy Spirit, we need you so much. We need your, your joy. We need your conviction. We need your encouragement. Um, and so, Holy Spirit, just I pray you'll come and settle into each and every one of us right now and bring peace and illumination. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you were here last Sunday, but I just, man, Pastor Greg's message last Sunday was just phenomenal. If you didn't get a chance to hear it or listen to it, boy, I got to tell you, just like, again, just, just looking at the reality of sin again and, and really being honest about it and confronting that 
And I don't know if you were there, but, you know, Pastor Greg spent some time just sharing a little bit about the two ways our flesh wants to bend. Do you remember, like, the self-centeredness and the self-righteousness and these two, like, ways that I just always am trying to fight bending toward. It's like this natural inclination, isn't it? I think there's a word for sin that describes that. It's like lawn bowls. If you've ever played lawn bowls, there's not a lot of lawn here to play it on sometimes, but right now it's like rolling through a puddle. But lawn bowls has a weighted, um, when you bowl, the ball is weighted. So you actually, you can't just roll it straight because it'll always just deviate. So part of the trick is learning to sort of bend it in. Um, that's kind of like sin. It's like almost like we have this bent toward self-centeredness, self-righteousness. Pastor Greg shared a bit about that last week. It's a really hard thing to combat, isn't it? Because of our cultural formation, which truly celebrates self. It just does. The story of our world really celebrates and edifies self, particularly when the God narrative is removed. When the God narrative is taken away, what we are left with that is not outside of ourself is just self. That's what we're left with. And God, you know, orders our wants and desires to be met fully in Him, and, and, and we live that shalom. But when there's nothing but self... It's limited to our own assumptions, our own reality, our own formation, and it has nothing to do with God. Then there's this self-worship, and that's the fight that we have, isn't it? Between trying to worship God and live a life for God, but this cultural formation that we've been embedded in that wants to celebrate self. Pastor Greg addressed that a little bit last week. You know, it's nothing new, sin, though, is it? It's nothing new. It's been there since the beginning. When Adam and Eve's desires were directed off God towards something else that was material, their worship moved off of God to the things God made, and that's called idolatry. Idolatry, I think, actually underpins all sin. As soon as God is removed, all sin flows because it's all about self. It's about worshiping material things, worshiping anything that is not God. And worship is really a direction of what we love. Whenever our loves are misdirected off of its source toward things, we're in idolatry, and then that edifies self, not God. And that's, again, what Pastor Greg addressed, but what we, he also addressed last week was the fact that Jesus Christ redeemed us, saved us from the bondage of sin. It's good news in all of this, is that we've been rescued and redeemed from sin. We heard that on the cross, He defeated the power of sin. Everyone say, He defeated the power of sin. We're no longer in bondage to its power. We've been set free from slavery into brand new life. It's a redemptive story. The second thing is he conquered death. Everyone say he conquered death. We've been made new creations with eternal life. We looked at the amazing grace last week that despite this reality, Jesus Christ has reordered our desires and our loves back to its right place so that we can walk in the shalom peace of God because we have Christ. You remember Paul, Ephesians 2, he says, because of his great love for us, God who is rich, you could just sit on that word for a minute, God is rich in mercy, which means he has an abundance of mercy. He is so wealthy in mercy because he loves us. He is rich in mercy. He made us alive in Christ. Everyone say, I'm alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in our sin, we're alive. It's by grace you've been saved. Again, if you didn't hear last week, it's a redemptive message. It would be really good to go and listen to that. 
to be reminded that you are alive in Christ. He is rich in mercy. He paid the price. We're not slaves anymore. We've been set free. It is good news for us. Not only that, he then establishes us as his covenant people who are under the covenant of grace and empowered by his very own spirit. It's good news for us. Nothing we've done to get that other than the fact that by his rich mercy, we get established as his church. Remember, saying yes to Jesus is really saying yes to ordering your life around his lordship. That Jesus is the Lord of this kingdom, and simply when we say yes, we're saying yes to a new reality of ordering our life around Him as Lord of the kingdom. And we begin to walk in obedience under the power of His grace, and then we partner with His grace in living the life He's invited us to live. We become partners with God. I know I've shared this before, but I was 21 when I stepped into my new life story. I began to seek Jesus and His way in the kingdom. I began to move into a new mission. My priorities changed. My attitudes changed slowly, but they did. I discovered the amazing grace that we sing about. Began an adventure with the Holy Spirit. It was no longer I who had to be in control of my life. I entered into this relationship with others who were also on this kingdom path. And I was grafted into the vine, made part of God's global network of redeemed people. And I got to go on an adventure to Africa, Germany, Jamaica, Morinville. God had reordered my life, reordered my desires to desire Him and His kingdom. That's what it means to say yes to Jesus. It's not a mathematical equation. It's a yes to Him being the Lord of life. And remember that he's, it's not you choosing that he's Lord. He already is the Lord. It's you just acknowledging that and then living your life ordered around his lordship. And when you do that, guys, I'm going to tell you, it's like opening this amazing gift, isn't it? It's like God just gives you this gift. You open it up and it's just like poof and all these little bits of you know, stuff fly out and float around and it's colorful and you're like, whoa, God, that's awesome. And you just keep discovering that there's more and there's more and it's full of joy and you're like, God, you're the gift that just keeps giving. I don't know how any of you do life without God. I could not even fathom not having received that gift of His mercy and His grace and walking on this complex, robust journey of life without the mercy of God. Couldn't even imagine it. I am so thankful that at 21, He grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and said, Maddie, you're mine. And all I had to do was just release control. And now look at the journey God has led me on. It's an amazing gift. And for those of us who have entered the kingdom Jesus inaugurated, we've received this gift of joy. It's good. And we become a part of his body called the, I hope you said church. That would be the right answer. <laughs> That's a good answer. Can we say it again? We are part of his, amen. We're part of his church. What's the church? The church of you and me, the called out ones, the word ecclesia, this, this called out, sent out gathering of God's redeemed people who opened that box and received the gift. And who were running around with this gift saying, look at the gift, it's so good. My life's changed. We are the church who are the redeemed, called out, chosen people of God who he has saved and redeemed. It is good. The church are the people of God who now, because we order our life around a different kingdom and a different Lord who is outside of ourself while remaining within us, 
transforming us because we have done that. Not just said yes and said a prayer. That is the important first step. But we've said yes to Jesus as Lord. We order our life. How many of you know that tells a different story as a people of God? We live, we speak, we do a very different way of life than the rest of the world. That's what it means to order our life around Jesus. We look different. We sound different. The church of Jesus Christ bears witness to the good news of Christ's lordship of a kingdom that is eternal and different than this world. The church of the people who are living temples. Everyone say, I'm a living temple. You are. The Bible says you are now the living temple of God himself. That the Holy Spirit actually finds a dwelling place in you. You are a living temple. I hope you're being encouraged already because these are good truths for us to remember. As the church, you're a living temple. And the church as the living temple always points to whom? Jesus Christ. The church points to Jesus. We, as in our life, as temples, point to Jesus. We tell a different story that doesn't point to self-centeredness or self-righteousness. It constantly tells a story of Jesus Christ. Everyone say, Jesus. That's our story, church. We point to Jesus. And the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Ephesus church, calls the church... The place where God's multifaceted, he uses the word manifold, which is a multi-dimensional, multifaceted wisdom is made known. This is what he says. His intent now, Jesus, through the church, that the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Through the church, you me, living temples, called out people who live and witness a different story through that life, the very wisdom of God is made known to the world. The very wisdom of God from heaven is made known through and in the living witness of the church of Jesus Christ. Our life should tell a different story because it will reveal the wisdom to a blind and broken world who have not yet seen truth. You are a picture of truth to them. The church is made up of very different people. Have you figured that out? We're a different bunch of coconuts. You know, it's that old joke. It's a dad joke. You've heard it. Church is like a Snickers bar. You know, it's pretty good until you start realizing there's a few nuts in there as well. The church is made up of a lot of different people. It's very diverse. Wouldn't you agree? But God's wisdom is manifold which means that it's actually in the diversity of the body of Christ that God's wisdom is made known. It's not just through a similar, exact same replica look. It's through the diversity of people who are living witnesses to Jesus Christ that actually through that express this multifaceted, multidimensional wisdom of God. It implies God's wisdom is multidimensional. And it's found in this harmony as we seek Jesus together. It's crazy to think that that's the world will gain wisdom through that diverse group of people who are living a life together, edifying and glorifying Jesus Christ. Includes children, infants, preteens, teenagers, young adults, adults, mums, grandparents, Pastor Greg, Australians. It, it, it is a crazy group of people. I shouldn't use the word crazy. It's an awesome group of people, but you get my sarcasm, right? 
point I'm making is that we're very different. I love that William and Shirley were in Bonacord leading worship. This couple from the Philippines who just love Jesus. He's an evangelist. He just gets up there and just, and bringing that flavor that is not me and not Australian, but Filipino was beautiful because it was about Jesus. It was rich and enriched. There was an aspect of God's wisdom being made known through him. That is the beauty of the diversity of the church. Through us being the people, there is, uh, we're called to be, there's a multidimensional expression we've talked about. And the best part is, we're the body and Jesus is the head. We just function and Jesus is the head. He's the one that knows the church, loves the church, builds the church, owns the church, rules the church. He's the brain. We're just the one that, the, you know, we flop. The brain says, move a finger, we move a finger. Like Jesus is the one who is head of the church. It's God's church. That is, this gives us peace. And so we don't have to like manage or worry. We just say, God, you are in control. We just get to be walking in the gifts that you've called us to walk in. It's really good news for us, church. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew 16? He hears Peter's confession of faith. And Peter's just like, Jesus, like, you are the Lord. You are the Messiah. And Peter says, yes, on that rock, on that confession, on that reality, that foundational mention that I am the Savior, because you acknowledge that and you will build your life, guess what? I'm going to build my church. And what does he say? The gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Remember his words, I will build my church. He will build you. He will build us. He will build the kingdom. He gets to do that. We just get to partner with his grace. This is good news for us, church. God will build his church. Remember, it's the call out people of God. And we make his wisdom known as we learn to walk this life out together. And we're called into a life together because that's what the church is. And being the church of Jesus Christ is more than just a superficial arrangement or a performance we attend. Am I allowed to say that? It's so much bigger. It's not just this superficial thing that we think, okay, that's just another slice of my life and the rest of my life is here. No, I think when we actually understand Jesus as Lord and we remember that, that it informs every part of our life it is good, then, then, then the, being the church is so much more than that. It's the life of living among the redeemed people of God as a light to the world. Stepping into a new story. You've heard me bash that to death, I know. But that new creation story in which we begin to say, wow, God has redeemed me from the ashes and he's redeeming what was into something new. And that tells a different story to the world. And I think that as we are bent towards self-centeredness and self-righteousness, we've looked at that, then living together as the church takes a bit of maturity to walk out. Have you found that? There's a bit of maturity that's needed in God's body to grow up into who God wants us to be. There's a journey. In fact, Paul in Ephesians says we're actually called to mature. And this is where I'm going to just spend a bit of time in Ephesians here, but Ephesians 11, 4.11 says this, so Christ gave himself apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become what? I think God wants us to grow up. I think he wants us to mature. 
attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Because when we mature, we attain this full measure of who God is when we're not stuck in our infancy. There is a journey as a church, and because it's complex, because we are bent toward these two extremes, and because we are a diverse group of people who are telling a different story and living in this this life together, it's going to be challenging. But Paul reminds us that actually the job of us as the church, why he puts leadership and why he puts these positions is that we get equipped to grow up and be confronted with the immaturity that holds us back so that we would mature into this rich understanding of Jesus Christ. And what's the measure of immaturity? He goes on and he says, 14, we will no longer be infants. He makes it pretty just straight up. We're called to mature that we would no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, the cunning, the craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Paul actually says the task of the church is to come together and be the witness, be the church, and mature and grow up into Christ. Which means it's more than just that superficial arrangement or a performance. It's a life's journey of us in the diversity of, you know, the robust nature of church actually walking toward Christ. The whole purpose of the church is to glorify Jesus Christ. And as the head, we're called as this body to grow up. And I love that image because imagine Jesus, you know, this nice, perfect head and then this skinny stick and this fat leg and then this kind of anemic arm. Like the body is actually meant to flesh out and grow up into a mature, strong body that reflects Jesus Christ. And I think that's a good reminder for us today, because we are seeking Jesus together, aren't we? Aren't we about Jesus, church, seeking Jesus, growing into Jesus, moving into who he's called us to be? We're seeking Jesus together and this journey toward a richer knowledge of Christ. Oh, because it's so multidimensional and multifaceted. I am learning so much from each and every one of you. I found myself learning so much from the church in Bonacord. More than I got up there and preached them. Yeah, I got to use my gift and I think there was a blessing there. But there was also a blessing when that I got to receive from William when he led worship. Because it was so rich. I'm like, wow, God's mercy is rich. I get to see God through you because you love Jesus. All of a sudden, there's wisdom being made known. This is the beauty of this church. Until we all reach unity in the faith. It's a journey toward unity. Paul reminds us that we grow together toward having the knowledge of Jesus, which helps us reach unity. He says... The church comes, there's all these roles, all this stuff, we're to mature until we reach this unity in the faith. Unity comes as we seek first Jesus Christ and as we do the work to grow up. When we don't, I'm going to tell you, we'll never reach unity. The body of Christ will never have unity in it because there are so many of us that are not moving in that journey of maturity to a knowledge of Jesus. It's not always a kumbaya event, unity. Um, And I've said this before. I don't think the church is called to like, you know, just simply have pillow fights and movie nights and have this romantic idea of life together. Sometimes we try and make community that. It's just not going to happen. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, let's just dance around, pretend everything's okay and fluff pillows, you know. Like, it's not that. It's robust. It's challenging. You're different than me. I frustrate you. 
You challenge me. Do you know what I mean? That, that's the church. So I don't think I ever want to romanticize unity or community because it's really complex. But it doesn't take away from the fact that we're called as this diverse body of Christ who appreciate each other and grow into unity. We rub against each other's stories. But I'm going to tell you, true community is centered around our common unity, who is what? Everyone say, Jesus Christ. Jesus is our common unity. He's the one that unifies all of our stories, who redeems all of our pasts into one new story, and he's adding to his body more diverse, rich, new backgrounds that give us more of a revelation of God. He keeps adding. It's beautiful. And our agreement is Christ. Our unity is Christ. And the more we have the transforming knowledge of Jesus, the more we together reach unity. The word unity is tied to the same word for agreement. You can hear it coming because I have beaten this to a pulp. But I think it lends itself to reminding us of this analogy. Because the word unity is the same as agreement. Unison, harmony, agreement are all the same thing. But you and I don't agree on everything. There are people here who don't agree politically. There are people here who don't agree about the fact that the oilers are so much better than the flames. Like, you know, crazy, man. There's no harmony there. It's devastating, man. I think there's a Bible verse that says you couldn't kick them out. I don't know. Let me find that later. The point is, we disagree about things, but yet we're called into agreement. So does that mean we need to try and twist each other to agree on every single thing? I don't think so. I think it's complex and there's a wrestle that we have, but because we're mature, we can do that because we love Jesus. And the Bible says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I think we can do that when we're sensitive with the Holy Spirit. But another word for agreement, and I'm sorry to bring it up again, but it's that symphony word. I know. I've used it a million times, but I just couldn't shake it. The Greek word symphonio is the word agreement, and it's the word symphony what we translate as symphony. And this is a better version of agreement, I think, than simply recognizing that agreement is you and me agreeing on every single detail about life. Because we're just not. And if you strive for that romantic idea of unity, you're going to be left devastated. But Jesus talks about this idea of unity when he says, if you agree on anything on earth, when he's talking about church discipline, but it doesn't matter. I think this, the, what he's ascribing is that when two or three, when you agree on anything, it'll be done. When there's agreement, when there's harmony, the word symphony means that there's a whole bunch of different instruments in a symphony orchestra, amen? There's all kinds of things. They're made different. They're made from different material. They went through a different process to be made. And you can see the analogy of our life when I talk. There's a different process that each of those instruments went through. Some come from different countries. Some come from different backgrounds. Some are played different. Some have wood and you bash on them. Some you blow into them. You know, and they got reeds, and some are made of metal. I mean, the point is, in, in, in a symphony, and all these different instruments, there's all these different kinds of backgrounds, but you know what they do is they come together. They come together because the conductor stands before them, and they learn the tune to the song, and together they play. And the conductor conducts them, and their eyes are on the conductor, and they know when to play and how to play, and each diverse instrument creates a beautiful symphony. That's a better version of agreement to me. I think it's good because they face the conductor who knows the song. You can see the analogy, can't you? 
That's Jesus, man. Jesus is up there, and he's conducting the tune of the kingdom. And then all of a sudden, there's these different instruments that come together to play this song of the kingdom. And each instrument plays the chords at the right time, at the right moment. I keep yelling. The music, I've got to do this again, laughter, don't I? Wow, can you just record it and show it? It's sweaty under there. <laughs> yeah, give me your shirt, yeah. I'm nearly there, by the way. We're getting there. You've done well. Um, the music is made as the instruments are directed, and there's unison, harmony. That's agreement. That's the Greek word symphonia. That's a symphony. That's agreement. Agreement in our unity is because we're all sinners, saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, brought into his body, the church, and then we mature by learning the song and playing the instrument in tune with the other instruments. That's, that's the church. Oh, that's a clap. That's good. <clears throat> not because we want to make our own music alone, because we're so much better together. It's so much richer when you bring a didgeridoo in. And you have, you know, a glass harmonica. I can't think of any more bizarre instruments. Anyone got any ideas? What's some cool instruments? I can't hear. The bongo. There's something rich about these diverse instruments coming together with their different backgrounds and formation, which is you and me. But yet we come together because Jesus Christ is our common unity. And because he conducts the church and the kingdom, we play our instrument in tune with one another. And it might just be a small part. You might have a lead role. You might have a drum solo. But the point is, you're like, yes, the drums, look at it. Because it's playing the song of the kingdom. Disunity happens, of course, when we say, that conductor doesn't know what he's doing. I'm going to hear him just bash, you know, and crash and smash and make my own noise. And that's that disconnect because we think agreement is that all the drums need to be drums. And that's what breaks us apart is because we seek agreement in you thinking the same as me rather than saying, no, actually, let's get our eyes off what we think and just look at the conductor and just trust Jesus. And we make a song together which is led by Jesus. And that, to me, is the church. I think we need a few... Chapman sticks and didgeridoos. That's the church. It's you and me. God's wisdom is made known through that agreement, through that harmony of the church. Church is a beautiful song that needs to be played to the world. Wouldn't you agree? Because remember, the church is you and me who've been saved by grace. And we grow up into the head who is Christ, maturing, working towards Jesus. When Jesus goes missing from the center, we focus on ourselves, we can go about doing the external religious details, but miss the point that we never fully mature into the body Jesus hoped for. We're called to mature into Christ, seeing each other as unique, striving for unity, which is agreement, and we achieve this reality because we realize the power of love. Paul concludes, instead, speaking the truth in love, we grow up to become, in every respect, a mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Love is the reality that binds us toward the ability to mature and grow up into Christ and I think this verse, all of us know this one, speak the truth in love. You, you've all heard that before. I've been tempted to pull that verse out of the rest of everything else 
Because I've often used that as a way to say, I'm going to confront you because I love you and I don't agree with you, so I'm going to tell you that I don't agree with you. I'm not saying that's wrong, by the way. Please don't take that as cynicism. There is truth in that. But when you read the the actual transliteration of that scripture, this is what Paul says. He says, speaking the truth, comma, however, in love we should grow up into him who is the head. And Paul is saying, actually, unity is attained as we live truth, speak truth, know truth. This is a multidimensional aspect of truth, not just speak the words of truth. He's saying, church, be in truth. As you as this community live truth, know truth, love truth, however, then in love you will grow up. That love is the foundation. Jesus on the cross who gave himself over because he loved us is the foundation of all of our life together. That in love we grow up. So speaking the truth, knowing the truth, being the truth, love is the glue that holds us together. Paul says, if I speak the tongues of men or angels, but don't have love, I'm a clanging symbol. You take your symbols out of the band and you just make noise because without love, it doesn't mean anything. Without love and abiding in love, we can't do the work to reach agreement because you're actually a loud symbol when you don't love and you disconnect yourself from God's diverse body. You don't have love. The early followers of Jesus heard this from his mouth directly in John 13. And Jesus actually frames this as a new commandment, which implies that maybe this wasn't happening as much as he had hoped. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. The witness of Christ, the body of Christ, the church bears witness, and the world knows we love Jesus because we love each other. Because we're willing, and love looks like willing when I just want to blow my trumpet. It's not my part, and I will wait. And then I'll blow my trumpet. It's complex, and yes, we can pull apart layers of that. I'm not suggesting, remember, it's not romantic. This is, this is life. But I can't hide from the scriptural truth that he's saying, we've got to learn to love each other. It's the only way we'll grow up into maturity. Because he says in Ephesians 5, follow God's example. Therefore, Dearly loved children, for you are loved. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering. We're called to love. Isn't that good? You gotta love one another, man. And and love is complex. Love is complicated. But loving is actually saying, you know what, you are a didgeridoo. <laughs> and that's okay. It's okay as long as we're playing the tune of Jesus together. And when you're not, then yes, the speaking the truth in love, I think, finds its actuation in the ability to say, because we love, I can speak truth to you because I need to remind you of the lyrics. I need to remind you of the tune of the song. And we all need that, don't we? Do you ever lose the tune of the song? Do you ever find yourself wondering where the conductor's gone and what, what the band should be playing? I think this is a rally cry for us in this new, you know, this new beginning, this new season to remember what our task truly is, to bear witness to Jesus Christ through our maturing journey as we abide in love. So as I conclude, 
Jesus said this in his prayer. When he prayed for all his believers, he said, my prayer is not for them alone. I'm going to pray for all of those who believe in me through their message. Jesus prayed for the people that are going to get saved through your message, through our witness. Wow. So before you join this community, Jesus was praying for you. He's praying for those who will believe in him through the believer's message and the message is through our witness of living this reality. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. As Christ abides in us, in our midst, the world knows that Jesus is alive. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the King. We live that. We, wit- we get to bear witness to that truth. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Complete agreement. Jesus was already praying for us in the 21st century. He was praying for you and me that we may reach this unity. That's what he desires of his church, that we would be in agreement, that we would actually work this out enough that we grow up and stop having tantrums like infants when we don't get what we want, but we do the work to love one another, which is complex, but that tells a better story to the world. Jesus was praying into that already. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Church, our way of life is, as the people of God, the ecclesia is different. We play a different song and tune to the world, and we're invited into this kind of life together as the church for the purpose of making known the mysteries of Christ to the world through you, through me contributing. But we, ever make this, we only ever make this known as we learn to appreciate the uniqueness of each other. So as we do the work with Christ to mature and grow up, and press into knowing more and more of the transforming power of Christ, then we would reach unity and grow into Christ. And more than ever, we are invited into being the living witness of God's Spirit in, the living, in His living temple to offer worship to God and show a different way. So I'll conclude with my psalm. It's the summer of the psalms, so this is all about a psalm. Psalm 133, if you have your Bibles, let's just finish here and we'll pray. And I hope you've been encouraged and edified today through God's Word. Psalm 133 says this, how good, how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Isn't it nice when we're just making music together? Wasn't it nice hearing these guys sing this morning and the harmony? And there's something beautiful sounding when things are different, but because of Christ are the same. And so the blessing of God lives in that context of his people who are in this robust reality of life. And I just want to take a minute to pray, if that's right, and conclude. And let's just take a minute to appreciate that we have been redeemed and that we belong to this amazing body, which is expressed for us here in Morinville, which is awesome. 
which is why the Father's House Sturgeon County to me is such an amazing blessing. We come together not for any other reason other than Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you were praying for us before we even got saved. Lord Jesus, that you knew us before we were even born. And out of your rich mercy, you redeemed us. And we sit here today, God, as a part of this amazing, diverse body of people, which are gifted with amazing gifts that contribute toward bearing witness to this broken world. God, I just pray that people would come to the knowledge of your redemptive, amazing grace because we do the work to love you and rest and abide in your grace. God, that we learn to grow up together and start putting aside the things that hold us back, that cause us to be thrown like infants tossed to and fro from the waves. God, I feel that, just that call that you're saying, no, it's good and right that you no longer remain there, but you now grow into who you've been called to be. So God, bless your church. Thank you for the reminder that you will build your church and hell will not overcome it. We will walk victorious on the foundation of Jesus because you have already conquered the grave. And we walk as free men and women today because of your grace. And at lastly, just if there's anyone here today and you feel the burning of the Holy Spirit inviting you to step into the Lordship of Jesus because the conductor's either gone missing in your life or you've never stepped into the band and you think, but I'm just, you know, I'm just a triangle. What on earth could I contribute to the band? I want to encourage you today that God has created you and formed you in such a way that you will bring a richness to the body of Christ and you belong by the mercy of God. And if that's you today, I just want you to raise your hands so I can pray for you that you would receive God's spirit and be a living temple and a witness to his mercy. If there's anyone here today, just raise your hands and I will pray for you. Hallelujah. Thank you for raising your hand. So God, lastly, I just you just see, God, those who are saying inside that it's time to make you the Lord of their life. And God, I pray that you will touch them with your Holy Spirit and cause them to be alive where they were once dead in their sin, that they would be raised to life and they would begin to walk the new creation story you've called them into in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, thanks for being here today and thanks for all the encouragement for Ashley and I. And yeah, have a wonderful Sunday.